Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by Andy Kermuga. Number one, the talk of the future of Stan Cullen Edgley. <laughs> Emilio, yes. All right. Later on, we're going to be talking Southland Tales, the 2006 Richard Kelly film with a couple of guests. But before we get to that, some of us watched <laughs> movies that were on Amazon that South that were supposed to play South by Southwest. Yes. Yeah. Others of us attempted to do so and fell asleep in the process. Yeah. We took advantage of the, the steel of the century. <laughs> Four uh, South by Southwest movies that are already out. Uh, Amazon put on for their two-week streaming thing, and we watched them all. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so each of well, us was assigned one of the four of all of them. features, and we all watched them. Uh, this is a special thing because, yeah, I guess for a fuller explanation, South by Southwest was canceled. Shocker. Um, and then uh, Amazon recent, like w- a month ago, was like, "Hey, we're like gonna put out the South by movies," and like was incredibly vague and was like, "We'll do it later, but we're putting out the South by movies." And then like a week or two ago they were like these are the South by movies we're putting out we're putting them out on this day for two weeks or whatever and then it was like seven movies that didn't sound tremendously exciting uh, plus a bunch of shorts yeah I mean be, be a few days before Amazon made their announcement I was like huh what's going on with that so I looked it up and found a number of articles about how Amazon's uh, terms were tremendously unfavorable and they had quotes from a number of prominent uh pro even in this case prominent somewhat in air quotes of slightly higher profile filmmakers that were out south by southwest saying yeah no way this is ridiculous there's no way we're gonna participate in this uh but they got four four narrative features and we each took one of them yeah I will just say that before we get into the movies, I think that's a perfect example which, of why I'm skeptical that anything like a real digital film festival will ever ha- will ever happen. Because it's like, if you're a person putting out a, who made a movie and wants to put it out and uses film festivals as a way to do that, you're doing it in a hope to like platform things and get word of mouth and get people to talk about it. But if everybody can watch the movie, that doesn't make sense as a thing. So, well, the mistake here was that this one was free for everyone. Like, Toronto presumably could be just as exclusive as they usually are. It's just that there will there'll be it'll be easier to do it if you cannot travel, but they don't have to sell more tickets than they normally sell, which is why uh i became a member recently just in case only just in case only members are able to get anything because uh if uh yeah it might be a rough ticket to get this year maybe though also i mean there there i certainly also have my concerns about uh piracy which is yeah yeah that certainly is a concern i feel like they can probably well the thing is like 
It just depends on how profi- how high profile the movies are. Like, I think you could get movies that are more high profile than this that no one would care enough of, enough about to pirate. Yeah, yeah, probably. I may be wrong, I mean, but like... Not to get ahead of our discussion, but it would be harder to get movies that people care about less than these. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Yeah, that's accurate. I feel like we should also point out that South by Southwest has been hit with a class action lawsuit as of a day ago where they have still refused to refund anyone who bought tickets for the festival before it was canceled. Oh, that's good. And maybe the other thing while we're talking about online festivals, uh, we do have a a little piece of news, which is that there is going to be this whatever they're calling it a film festival that YouTube is putting on in collaboration with a number of film festivals, I think including, not including South by Southwest, but I believe including Sundance, Berlin, Cannes, Venice, Toronto. What I've heard, at least on the part of Cannes, is that their contribution is going to be in the form largely of master classes. So it's un and this is also going to be free for everyone. So I doubt uh, my assumption is that it's mostly going to be like festivals being like this is the best movies we've showed over the last 5 years that are willing to be free on YouTube for yeah. 2 weeks. Which right. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I think and it's probably largely going to be like a big branding thing for them of just being like hey, we're still an institution that exists, and, like, if you're able to kick us a couple of bucks right now well, we're not able to, like, offer regular programming, that would be super helpful. Right. Like, that sort of thing, I think, yeah. I know I know a lot of artistic institutions are, like, trying to think about, like, well, we don't have our primary mechanisms mm-hmm. for, like, generating revenue right now and, like, staying alive, so people are getting creative and trying to think about, like, what is the best way to at least, like, make sure people are thinking about us as, like, a potential people uh, thing that you would mm-hmm. want to, like, give money to, either in exchange for something or just, like, in the interest of, like, keeping this institution alive that you value. Sure. Excited about more Jean-Luc Godard Instagram lives. Hey. <laughs> Bruno Dumont TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> From what I've heard about Slack Bay, it feels like there'd be some sticky TikToks. <laughs> hey, TikTok! <laughs> oh boy. All right, Cullen, what do you have to say about the movie that you watch from oh, South by Southwest? Okay. Um, well, I'm volunteering you because no, of that. Uh, uh, I did <laughs> proclaim myself as the number one shock of the future stand. So, uh, yes, I watched. Uh, French title Le Choc de Futur, which is a film directed by Mark Collin, uh, formerly of the band uh, Nouveau Vague. I am almost assuredly pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, starring is it Nouveau uh, Vague? Alma, that's probably more accurate. Uh, starring Alma Jodorowsky um, as a like commercial jingle writer for hire basically and the movie are we just gonna go full spoilers i don't know I, okay. is it a spoiler that's up to you i mean no i mean i can just i, I just didn't know how far like so it's like about her uh it's like one day in her life she wakes up 
there's like some music she doesn't like playing on the radio and she turns it off and starts like listening to more electronic like themed disco and uh she has like the person who is her boss essentially who like gave her the contract for this um uh commercial jingle that she's to be writing uh coming by her apartment to and like she has people who are uh, like repairmen come by and help her she has the voice actress or a vocal performer who is supposed to do the voiceover for the commercial come by at a certain point and it's just like about her day as this person who there's a dedication at the end to like a bunch of pioneering electronic musicians from the 70s uh that were all female that like sort of history hasn't like shown them the credit that they deserve and that's sort of like what the movie is about is shining a light on these people but it also is just not very good <laughs> um and like <laughs> it's a lot of her dealing with sort of like we talked about with like never really sometimes always and uh the assistant like just dealing with like creepy guys who are in her life like the guy who comes to repair her uh mixing board as she like has a malfunction with it shows her this beatbox that will like change the way she records her music and she wants it and he's like asking for like five thousand dollars and she's like i'll pay you after like i get paid for this contract i'm doing and he's like you can give me a kiss right now and it's like oh this is just so gross and then like the guy who's her manager insist on like double cheek kissing her every time he leaves like in a creepy non-traditional french way <laughs> um and then like the, it sort of peaks in the middle when the vocal performer comes there after she's decided that she's not going to do the jingle and she's working on her own music uh she comes there and she's like oh i forgot to call you we're not doing this and then they end up recording a song together in a pretty like engaging sequence where she's like developing the beat and then has her singing and she's like developing the lyrics and they like very like almost real time or like re-recording it and like redoing everything and it is <laughs> the lead performance of uh alma yodorowsky she's pretty compelling uh but it the movie it's got this weird vibe where it's like hitting all the sort of like uh like traditional accent marks of like a music biopic <laughs> where it's like she hears a, a very famous like Devo song and it's like, this is what's good. And like goes on a rant about how rock music is going to be forgotten. Like jazz is, uh, cause it takes place in the late seventies. Um, and like, she's talking about how electronic music is the way of the future. Uh, but it is, it takes place all in one day. It just feels so truncated. And the movie's only like 79 minutes long. And it, it feels so rushed and it's um, like wanting to hit all these sort of points of like she meets the singer and then she has like all these ups and downs with like the recording industry not wanting to accept electronic music as a new thing. And it like just feels so rushed. And at the end, there's this like huge exposition heavy like fight between her and a guy who's like a lawyer who's also part of her life in some way. Uh, that is like not very good at all <laughs> but it is like a nice looking movie it's shot pretty well and it's got like a good backing track of this electronic music that it's not completely <laughs> terrible it's like a perfectly fine movie but 
it definitely, I think it has bones of something that could be really good. But in and of itself, it's just not that great. Alright. Someone else want to go? Uh, sure, I'll go. Um, I watched another French film uh, entitled Selfie. Uh, not to be confused with the uh, Karen Gillan, John Cho sitcom vehicle from a few years ago. Uh, this is another, yeah, like I said, it's another French comedy. This one's uh, the longest of the four, I believe, at a, uh, an hour and 48 minutes. It's, it's approaching two hours. Uh, it is an anthology film. Uh, it is directed by uh, six or five five people. Uh, Tristan Auret, uh, Thomas Bidegain, uh, Mark Fitusi, uh, Cyril Gelblatt, and Vianney Levasque. I apologize to each of those people uh, for however I butchered that their names. Um, and and so it's it's uh, it's it's uh, it's an examination of technology, the contemporary way we use technology. It's a French comedy about like we're all the internet, man. Like we're all on the internet, aren't we? Um, it's. It's. I think it's not terrible. As like, it sounds very unappealing in like its long line. Uh, I would admit, and I think it like doesn't totally live down to like how unappealing it sounds. Um, it's. Uh, it's got a like. It's. I think it's pretty well structured, in that like none of the segments feels like too long, or like you're like none of them is like particularly stronger than the others there's that like like in any anthology film there's like better stuff and weaker stuff and like stuff that you like more than other stuff but um but it's not like very blatant that like this segment is like really good and this segment is like really terrible everything's all about like at the same like kind of okay level um and i think they do do some very fun uh like seeding of uh of characters from like one segment as like minor cameo or supporting characters in other segments. Uh, I think that stuff is pretty fun to, to catch up on. Um, it's, I mean, it's like a French comedy, like, whether that is, like, your thing or not, I think you maybe have some sense of. I didn't find it particularly funny. Uh, there's, like, a segment about uh, a family of vloggers where the, the their kid has, like, a rare illness, and they have, like, become a big hit on youtube or whatever because of their of their vlogs documenting this journey and then he becomes cured and they stop getting a lot of hits and so they like it's about their like their way that they try to get back in the get back in the in the good graces of the of the of youtube uh there's one that's um about like a woman who uh starts like basically like tweeting at like a basically some sort of like a, a young internet celebrity who like is appearing on the French version of the tonight show. She start like, she's like a school teacher and she starts tweeting him like, you need to like go back to school and like learn how to read and re- learn how to write and stuff. And like, then he like starts responding to her and they sort of form like a, they, they, they start DMing each other and they form like a flirting relationship and that sort of thing. Um, there's a segment about like dating apps where a guy, uh, it, it's a, it's a weird dating app where, you get like a f- rated. You get rated out of five stars from everyone you go on a date with, and that like is like the basis of like who you're allowed to like date uh, on in other throughout the app. Which doesn't sound like any dating app. I, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm not huge in the da- in, 
into dating apps, but that doesn't sound like any dating app I've ever heard of. Um, uh, and it's that one. Uh, yeah, it, 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 he like goes on a journey where like he want he buys a bunch of people to rate him highly so that he can like try to ask out this one girl, and then he realizes like this oh this isn't who I am. I am like a two point six guy, and so I need to go back down to two point six. And then there's like a montage of him like absolutely being like horrible on a bunch of dates to get his rating back down which i thought was a little distasteful uh there's uh a segment about a guy who just like trusts the algorithm to like recommend him and he buys whatever like the algorithm recommends him to buy uh or whatever and it's like about like how he is too trusting of the algorithm or whatever and then there's one where it's like there's a big leak a hack or whatever and they're on the, uh, it's a bunch of people who are on an island for a wedding and there's not really much service but, like, word gets out that, like, there's been a gigantic leak and, like, everyone's, like, private messages or whatever have leaked in this huge hack. And so that sort of starts to wreak havoc on the on the wedding uh, as uh, more and more people try to, like, find out what, what was leaked and what wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, they're pretty charming, some of them. Uh, I think it's pleasant enough. Uh, it's pretty well made. I think it looks pretty good and, like, has a couple of, like, fun things. It, it does, it has a lot of, like, you know, the, like, I guess, like, I guess it goes at least back to, like, Sherlock and maybe a little before of, like, you know, text messages and stuff showing up on the screen in, like, fun ways. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I certainly, like, if it if you're looking to kill two hours or whatever and, like, don't don't have much else to watch and you're like, hey, this is free and I'd like to, like, support the filmmakers of South by Southwest or whatever, uh, I would say, like, hey, maybe this is one to, to consider, but not, not certainly not anything that you need to run run to your computer and watch right now. High praise from Andrew Germuka. Yes. Emilio. To movie 43. <laughs> <laughs> Emilio, uh, what have you got to say about the movie you watched? So I watched Gunpowder Heart, which is a movie made in Guatemala, directed by Camila Urrutia, who I believe is a first-time filmmaker. And uh, you can tell uh, it's about... <laughs> It's about, uh, like, in concept, I appreciate what it's going for and what it's doing. I think I feel a lot about this movie, what Colin said about his movie, where the plot of the movie is this lesbian couple in Guatemala. They, one of them buys a gun and then on a date to a, to a, like, local carnival, they get raped and then the movie basically becomes like a Paul Schrader-ish thing about like them deciding if they want revenge and one of them getting obsessed with the gun and like thinking about how it like what they have to do to put the fear of what happened to them behind them and it's like it's a movie about biker Guatemalan lesbians who are obsessed with guns and I described it as Paul Schrader-esque and yet somehow it's like quite boring it's very unengaging it's like it's like weirdly flat like I think every single aspect of it I find to be flat it's like it doesn't look particularly interesting like it's shot in Guatemala but it none of the they don't make the city look interesting in any real way it all feels like pat it's overlit um the lead performances are quite poor i think again they're just not very engaging i don't find them to be particularly charismatic in either of their roles 
and I don't think and they're like I find it to be a little awkward sometimes and not a way that's fully intentional there's like a little awkwardness to be had but it's like not as much as they go they go through it it's like the script seems pretty bad I imagine that some people who watch it with subtitles might not have the same problem but there's some lines here that are like legitimately like people saying a hundred percent of what they feel at the time and just like inc- incredibly pat like but we want to leave Guatemala and it's like but it's so hard and like but at least we have each other and stuff like that that is I found like pretty cringy even though I don't like saying cringy because that's bad and minimizing but it's just like it conceptually I appreciate what it's doing it's interesting to watch a first time filmmaker from Guatemala that's certainly a thing to appreciate and I shout out to South by Southwest for highlighting it but I don't really like gunpowder heart in any real meaningful way I don't feel like there is any real aspect that I appreciate I think there is some use of like an interesting score that I appreciate sometimes that is good and sometimes I think it manages to be shot interestingly but most of the time it just looks and feels pretty flat uh yeah those are my takes on gunpowder heart all right well then uh you have something else to say uh I mean I guess to just like say what Andy says I guess for a the price of free and wanting to highlight film, smaller filmmakers, I guess you could just like leave it running on a background of your computer somewhere <laughs> and probably contribute to the numbers in some way to help these people out. But uh, I would not dedicate the time to watch it, even though even though it's like a t- it's like 88 minutes and it actually doesn't feel long. I will say that it like moves pretty well, but like moves through a lot of nothing. Hmm. All right, well, now we will either go to a segment in which I have finished The Cat and the Wall and recorded my thoughts on that, <laughs> or if I have, if I do not finish it, we will go straight to our conversation on Southland Tales. So, listener, you maybe wanna... The Cat and the Wall is a masterpiece, and you need to find out and tell us. Yeah. Unless Jesse, well, unless yeah. unless Jesse bursts in now to say otherwise, you should assume that Cat in the Wall is a masterpiece, and we wholly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Jesse here again. I finished Cat in the Wall. It's just like a boring social issue drama. Not my thing at all. There's some stuff with the actual cat that's like kind of entertaining. Uh, I like the way that the two directors shoot the cat and like the cat's interaction with the young child, but it's not a huge part of the movie, so can't really recommend it. Why don't you go ahead and let Moby play you into our conversation on Southland Tales. Alright, we are now joined to talk about Southland Tales by Ben Claflin and Nathan Bohannon. Welcome. Hey guys, uh, I'm Nathan. Friendly Fire. My name is Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. 
So we watched the can cut of Southland Tales to make sure it would be as uh, well-themed to our podcast as possible. And I think the main takeaway for those of us who have seen both is that uh, it's not that different. It's not that different. When I when I heard that the can cut was like longer and had more unfinished effects, I was expecting the effects to be more unfinished <laughs> than they were. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like the most unfinished effect in the movie is the PS2 ass looking shot of the Mega Zeppelin going down at the very end. Yes. We're getting to the Mega Zeppelin in record time, which already has been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. As, as what's, me- what's Mega about the Zeppelin? I was not clear on what made the Zeppelin Mega. It was the size of it? I feel like Very every large. week we talk yeah. about the size of the Mega Zeppelin. Let's get to something new. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say... As... what Southland Tales is. Yeah, that's what I was yes. going to yeah. say. Good luck. Let's, yeah. uh, let's give the background. Who has the most thorough background knowledge of Southland Tales? I, I mean, I can just introduce what it is and what we are talking about. So, Southland Tales was a 2006 movie directed by Richard Kelly, then known for being the director of Donnie Darko, which was quite successful for as an independent film. And it was released at Cannes. It was premiered at Cannes on May 21, 2006. With a longer, shaggier cut because it was not fully finished at the moment. And arguably, it still isn't fully finished. Who's to say? It's Southland Tales. (laughs) And it was received with a mix of uh, outright (laughs) confusion, anger, disgust. (laughs) But now recently, it has been reclaimed by people within film communities, including a lot of people on this podcast currently. And very recently, Richard Kelly did a live tweet of it where he gave a lot of background context yeah, for how the movie was Yeah, on my birthday, it ruled. Because yeah. uh, the occasion was that it is streaming currently, I believe, when we release this, it'll have like a day or two more on Mubi. So yeah. if you're a Mubi subscriber, you can watch, watch the uh, final cut, or the, the, the theatrically released cut, at least. Well, yeah, uh, so yeah. yeah. During this lo- like tweet storm he did... There's a lot of talk about how it's like the fourth chapter that is like preceded by uh, graphic novels it's... and then to be succeeded by a sequel that he's written and like um, that like the version he like said that they have 4K masters of both the can cut and the theatrical cut that is out like on home video right now. And he's, like, saying that they're going to try and put them out for posterity. But he also has, like, a new version that he's done. He seems like a real crazy guy. And I like his energy a lot. (laughs) Yeah. What he said he was making was a cut that puts together, like, the movie itself and animated segments from the graphic novel prequels. But then also, Mm -hmm. like, some, like, additional live-action-y things that are, like, going to be movies within the movie. Yes, uh, the, the movie that The Rock and Sir Michelle Teller have written in oh, the movie sure. is supposed to be what's in this extra movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a legend. <laughs> and it's important, so, I mean, it's important to mention, too, since the, the graphic novel prequels have already been brought up, that um, much like Star Wars, uh, Southland Tales does <laughs> begin with um, the fourth part in a four. six-part series. <laughs> it, uh, does have, it does have parts four through six in the movie, though. 
So, yes. Yeah, parts four through six. Originally, um, there were going to be six graphic novels leading up to the um, release of the film. That wound up being reduced down to uh, three. Um, yes, they somehow under- talked him down off of that ledge. Did they come out yeah, before Most of the, the film, I think, was talking him down off of various ledges. <laughs> but... <laughs> did the graphic novels come out before the movie was released? Um, I would have to check. Like, were they always supposed to just be graphic novels, or was he like... I'm yeah, they were supposed yes. to be... It was originally it, it was, planned it wasn't as like a, he wrote graphic novels and then was like, I'm going to finish this. It was like, sure. this is my multimedia Right, experience. he's going to make, like, he's going to be the guy to, like, unite all of media and, like, make an extended yes. universe all on his own. Yep, I, and he did it. I, I mean, also, I think, I think to add on to Emilio's story, I think the extra context here is Donnie Darko comes out. It's a hit. Richard Kelly starts writing another movie immediately. This movie is Southland Tales, a movie about Hollywood, uh... And the Black Patriot Man. Act. Well, not yeah. yet. Well, the no, 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 no. The big... So here's oh, happens. right. The Patriot Act he is later. It's like not Tales. initially from... about that. Yes, from what I've heard, initially it started out, out as a more normal for Richard Kelly, like, for nor- compared to what we get, like, Hollywood Black Blackman movie, which is at the heart of Southland Tales. But what happened while he was writing this is 9-11 and the Patriot Act, and his brain just breaks. It is also, um, yeah, as probably the oldest person of this uh, this panel here, um, I'm 31, yeah. so I, I pretty clearly remember not only the release of Donnie Darko, but um, 9-11 as well. Um, one of those was better than the other, I would say. <laughs> Um, yeah, the theatrical release for Donnie Darko, or like the wide release, was like maybe a month after 9/11. So at that point, no, it was the Patriot Act was um, signed the day that Donnie Darko was released. Uh, I think it was October 26th, and um, yeah, that in September 11th definitely do inform a lot of what is going on in this movie or the parts that are comprehensible. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I will say. The can cut is a lot more incomprehensible. Yeah, I uh, didn't get a chance to watch all of it. I skimmed through, and like, there's a breakdown on the internet of like what the differences are. And I mean, one of the major differences is more Moby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more Moby and more Janine Garofalo. Yes. Which even in this, even in this, like, she still feels. Like, she's not really in the movie. Like, it, it feels like she's cut yes. down from an even longer cut. Yes. Uh, Andy, remind me, there's pretty much no Janine Garofalo in the theatrical cut uh, that you watched, I, correct? Yes, if you had asked me, is Janine Garofalo in this movie, I would have said no. Yeah. I think she might be in a shot, she but I don't think that she has at any at the very line. end where okay, yes. Justin Timberlake's dancing, and she's just kind of there, like, swaying back and forth, and that's the extent right. of I mean, it's, Gar- yeah, I guess it's not surprising that Janine Garofalo's in this movie, considering how many, like, <laughs> sketch comedians and, like, yes. alt night, like, in, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, alt comedy people he has in it, but, uh, I do not, I did not recall her being in the movie, though. Okay, yes, that's accurate. Yeah. Her, her role in the movie, in the can cut, is mostly to have entirely incomprehensible discussions with Kevin Smith. But also kind of just yell at Kevin Smith and Kevin Smith doesn't acknowledge her. Right. Like, it's it's a really weird vibe. Yeah, that is true. It is kind of like, not only is it like... 
auxiliary to like us as viewers that Janine Garofalo's character who is General Tina MacArthur is there it seems very much auxiliary to the other characters she is interacting with and it's basically just Kevin Smith in like old man makeup yeah yes and a, he's pretty good too <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's Kevin Smith's good I, mean, I, think I would say thing, though. no one is good in this movie that's Except not true. John Larroquette. Oh, John Larroquette is this the is like the Rock's best performance, performance ever. I would say everyone is good in this movie, with one exception. Uh-oh. I'm curious to know what this exception is. And I think that even the exception is good in some scenes. I would say Justin Timberlake is mostly bad in this movie, and the can cut becomes worse because it relies more on his narration. Yeah, the, the vibe When he's not talking, he's good. When he's lip-syncing, he's great. But the mistake <laughs> that this makes is that much of the time, he is only talking because he's narrating it. And he is not so good at that. I was going to mention that Wikipedia actually references on the uh, cast listing that he both narrates the film and also mimes a musical number. <laughs> Which That's right, is he does. a weird way to describe that scene. But Mind honestly, most people that are trying to describe the movie, that is probably one of the first places they're going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that yeah. movie where Justin Timberlake lip syncs to the Killers. Mm-hmm. Which I think another bit of context that always fascinates me is this is like sexy back era Timberlake. Yeah. Like the balls yes. on Kelly to be like, hey. You're going to have a musical number in this. You're not going to sing it, though. You're lip-syncing to the killers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, okay, so your your contention, Andy, is that everyone except for John Larroquette <laughs> is bad in this movie. That is 100% accurate. Okay, so I my my goal is to is to sell you on this movie. I think I can immediately gain a little bit of ground. Can you not say that Having many of their scenes with John Larroquette, Miranda Richardson and Holmes Osborne mm-hmm. as uh, Senator Bobby Frost and his wife Nana Mae Frost are also good in this movie. I no, so <laughs> no, okay, no, because that's great in this movie. No one else what are you feels talking? like a character. It's like it's like he was just like I'm just gonna like give people a shitty wild name and give them like a bunch of ticks or whatever. But no one, I don't believe any of these people have any kind of, like, life outside of the things that they do in this movie. I, f- I think that is very much part of the movie, though. It's it's Richard Kelly's post-apocalypse film, and this is what yeah, his take on the post-apocalypse I mean, is. Everyone's is, kind of insane. Yeah, that is very much built into... Uh, both The Rock and Sean William Scott's characters because they both have amnesia, so they, in fact, do not recall their life outside of this movie. Uh, but, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar you don't think is good? Oh, God, no, she's awful. <laughs> That's you, don't, you don't think Nora Dunn is good? No, I... Nora Dunn might be kind of bad. Mm. I well, mean, what about the, Christopher Lambert? The thing that, so, so the thing, I mean, the thing is, like, I get this sense from everyone. I basically like, as an act of empathy, I get have feel that the actors have no idea what they are doing or saying. Like I don't feel like from what I don't feel like Richard Kelly has successfully like sold them on what he is going for. So they're just doing stuff, and I don't think that it makes for a cohesive movie in any way. 
I think that is maybe true in some cases, <laughs> but not nearly as many as you are uh, suggesting. You're not going to give anything to Lou Taylor Pucci? <laughs> oh, man, that? Lou Taylor Pucci. <laughs> He's the guy who put John William Scott. At the end. He shoots the Mega Zeppelin. Sure. Yeah. What a hero. He doesn't want to go to Afghanistan or Syria. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, the guy who uh, yeah, mm-hmm. got drafted. Okay. Yes. I mean, whatever. He it's goes like, to yeah. buy from uh, Timberlake right before the great scene. You... Also, you don't think Wallace Shawn is good? Because Wallace Shawn's great. I, no, well, no. I mean, Wallace, yeah, Wallace Shawn, again, he's like doing Wallace Shawn stuff. But like, again, I don't feel like it. He has like if you asked him like what 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 was the deal with your character in this movie like he would not be able to answer that to you. I mean, I mean like you gotta give Wallace Shawn a little bit more credit than that. Yeah, I mean Wallace Shawn will just do anything for a paycheck, but uh, and I I love him. <laughs> wow, but, uh, shots fired, Wally. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I think I think you just lost the listener in Wallace Shawn yeah. this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Wallace Shawn is big into the uh, the the indie podcast space. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think that's generous to us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whatever a bo- well, like below indie. Like, excuse me, the aspiring indie podcast space yeah. is that better? <laughs> um, all right. I don't want to get too bogged down in just like naysaying everything. Um, uh, what is? Uh, I mean, I mean, do we want to try to just give some semblance of like what the plot of this movie is? I don't think we can. Well, how about this? You were saying that you don't you, you don't really understand what happens in this movie. Do you have any questions about it? Well, I I I'd like to point out while he's kind of considering that. Um I have the Wikipedia article in front of me checking something else and um the plot of this movie is such that um Wikipedia does not try to actually break it down so much as it just kind of gives all of the setup um, but there's no real plot description on the Wikipedia right. article because good luck. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. In any in any version, Southland Tales is kind of incomprehensible, and we love it for that. I mean, that's why I love it. It is a deeply incomprehensible, insane, just attempt at making a film, and I kind of love it. Yeah. I will say, like, <laughs> Richard Gillard oh, was partnering with Mubi to do this, like, um, showing of it, at, like, after, like, quarantine started, and uh, everyone's been doing these, like, not tweet-alongs ex- exclusively, but that's what he did, and they've been doing, like, virtual Q&As just, like, as a way to, like, provide some entertainment, you know, in these dark times, and I decided to, like, give it another <laughs> shot after people uh, had been making or lately had been making the case for it as, like, a misunderstood masterpiece. And I think there's something to the effect of that as, like, the category that it is on movie. Maybe it's, like, Forgotten Failures or something like that. Or, but, Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't love it. I respect the ambition so much. Like, uh, I, I watched The Box last summer, which is his follow-up to this, which is, like, a similarly ambitious movie, but much more comprehensible and like low key in comparison and that I think is really good uh, but this it like in its sort of um, all over the place like I wasn't really able to like find my footing with it 
and like I there's parts of it that I really like I think uh you know like everyone loves the Timberlake scene where he's singing the killer song and that's like mm-hmm. I, I find at least kind of undeniable <laughs> and for The Rock like his performance in this it's before he sort of turned like his like I don't know how to say it. like he's before he like stopped doing performances and only started doing one performance because like he's I the mean, same in everything and he was this, fresh I on like, doom at this point in his career by yeah the way. Like, yeah also, I, pretty I, early I feel like i've read like interviews with the rock where he was just like this is the reason why southland tales is the reason why i don't try anymore that's like insane. he had he reportedly had a terrible time on this yeah movie. that is i can believe it because <laughs> i think it's like his it's his most like he is like quite ticky in it. Um, oh, he's the so thing with ticky. his fingers is so bad. I hate it. Oh, so I, I think it's, so it's his it's most nuanced performance. He's like so compelling as like this like wide-eyed, just like yes. frady cat of a man. Yes. Where he's like, it is, it is a, it is a rock. It is a Dwayne Johnson character performance, and for that, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think um, it has like. As a movie, one of the like great cut to credit needle drops in Tinder by Blur, and I uh, like in skimming the can cut, they don't do it at the end, which is like such an improvement that was made through the making of the theatrical cut. Uh, and they like use it in an earlier scene where like uh, Sean William Scott and Lou Taylor Pucci go to like the ATMs, but I definitely right. uh, respect it as a movie. I'm not on like Ben and Nathan's level or even Jesse's, I don't think, but I'm definitely nowhere near Andy's level of hatred. <laughs> and I, I feel like I feel like context that I I just checked the Wikipedia page because I knew there was more to the whole. He submitted it to Can. To be clear, he submitted an unfinished cut to Can, basically as a joke, not expecting it to be accepted. And apparently, you know, they were just like, "Ha ha ha! We will put it in competition." Uh huh. That was uh oh, what was Terry Fremo's predecessor's name? Gilles Jacobs, I believe, would have been the uh, the person who put that in, the who made the decision to put it into competition. What one that year? Just, uh, the win that what shakes the barley. One in uh, two thousand six. Yes, this is the win that shakes oh. the barley year. Also, the other two. Uh, it's worth noting that the other two American films uh, in competition were Fast Food Nation and Marie Antoinette. So, okay. Sublin Tales might not be the worst of the the three, if you ask me. That's what hey, pretty I mean, dire. Probably not. I mean, yeah, I was I, looking yeah. over that last night, and it's insane that Fast Food Nation was... That Linklater had two films at Cannes that year, and it was Scanner Darkly yeah, in Fast Food Nation. <laughs> and Fast Food Nation in competition. Yes. Yeah, that may not have been the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, do you have any questions about the plot of this movie? Well, see, this is the thing. It's like I like at a certain point was like, oh, like this movie doesn't like like I don't know. Like it, it was just it was clearly just like a movie that was so obsessed with like articulating various ideas and like ideologies and stuff that like yeah. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this movie doesn't yeah. give a shit about the plot, and so now I'm not going to pay attention to the plot, and I was just mostly bored by it because like I couldn't connect with any of the characters and I couldn't follow any of the plot really. So, like, I, I would, like, Cullen said I hated it. I wouldn't say I hated it. I would just say I was like, okay, like, I see that, like, you have a lot in your mind, but, like, 
learn to like create a character bro <laughs> like it's it's not wow. that that's not that hard like the, the re like if you want to get these ideas out maybe write an essay but like otherwise if you're gonna make a movie <laughs> you know think about like what does it take to make maybe a write an essay <laughs> <laughs> wow i think sean <laughs> william scott's giving a pretty empathetic performance i think so yes i think i agree with that i think i can spin that as andy saying that uh, Richard Kelly invented the essay film and John Luke Goddard is a hack but uh <laughs> I think what Andy's saying is that he wishes Richard Kelly were the first video essayist yeah I mean he, I think, he, I think he'd be better at it <laughs> I have to say Adam Richard Kelly, Richard Kelly go on bread tube <laughs> how about what I'll do is I will attempt to as succinctly explain the plot with my only i'll pretty much just i'll, I'll start right before the beginning because i have only a vague knowledge of like having read the plot summaries of the graphic novels oh so, those are incomprehensible that's what i thought so um you've got this famous actor boxer santeros and he Terrible. is writing a screenplay <laughs> with Krista now that is predicting the end of the world. And so Boxer, he also has all these political connections because his wife, his wife is the son of a vice or the daughter of a vice presidential candidate. So because he's a very famous actor and he's got these political connections, Wallace Shawn, Baron von Westphalen, chooses Baron Juan Westwell and has come up with this thing called Fluid Karma, which basically provides infinite wireless energy. Also gets you high but as it is, Yeah. Yes. It is slowing down. It is very slowly decelerating the rotations of the Earth, which I believe is predicted in the screenplay that Boxer and Krista are right, writing. I remember this, yes. th 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 that's where the concept is introduced when they, when he's like pitching. It's where it's play. introduced, but it is something it is like that's really happening. happening yes, and so it is causing these uh, ripples in the fabric of space time. And so they they first try sending monkeys into this thing, and the monkeys right. just die. They're not strong enough, and so the, they, their soul isn't strong enough. Yes, the their the soul isn't strong enough. Is the specific? No right. To be the fair, all the monkeys are turned inside out. So there's at least right. that. Yes. Right. Well, the, the, but the so rock Baron is just like a science genius in this movie, right? Like without like any no. explanation. No, no, no. He just is. He just is uh, <laughs> writing this screenplay that is somehow predicting the future. Well, isn't it also because so Baron his von Westphalen is a psychic, right? Isn't it because yes. yes, I think okay. so. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, it is more explicit than the graphic novels that uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character Krista, now the porn star turned uh, media mogul is uh psychic and is having like premonitions of the future yes right that's the part that i wasn't quite remembering and so baron von westville and he chooses the rock and kidnaps him so that he can take him through this time warp thing and so sean william scott is a veteran who served with Justin Timberlake's character Pilot Abilene. He's the one who shot him in the face uh, accidentally. Friendly fire. It's not your fault. Yeah. Uh, and so Sean William Scott um, what's his name? 
Oh, Roland Taverner. Roland Taverner is chosen to escort him through the time warp, but Wallace Shawn does not want Roland Taverner to actually go through it. He wants him to take him there and then put the car on autopilot. But Serpentine, who is uh, a woman who works with uh, Baron von Westphalen, this is, is this uh, best played by Bai Ling. No, this is Bai Ling. Bai Ling the most is Serpentine. The person of all time. <laughs> 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 so she also sends uh, Sean William Scott, Roland Taverner. She sends both of them into this time warp. And so what happens is they go back in time 69 minutes. So there yes. are now two of them. The, the uh, Boxer Santeros is killed in this process of going back in time. Uh, but the copy of Roland Taverner, who then becomes Ronald Taverner, is not. He survives, so there are now two of them who, throughout most of the film, you're led to believe that they are twins, but they are in fact the same person who has essentially been cloned in the process of time travel. Which, I, even, so, even, yeah, like, the movie misdirects you because even like Sean William Scott himself thinks this is his yes. twin. He's like So he just now brother. has like false memories of having had a twin his whole life. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Right. He he only he barely has any it's possible that what happened is in fact is that um Cherry O'Terry who's no one could possibly remember what that character is named. There's too many Zora. <laughs> Zora so Zora, uh, my guess would actually be that Zora has told him this is your twin brother. Right. Oh, because yeah, because uh, doing the time travel thing like messes with your head. Okay. Yeah, messes with your head. It gives you amnesia, and so she is like, okay, she is a neo-Marxist, which Nora Don and uh, <laughs> and it is never quite explained what like the tenets and the philosophy yeah. of neo-Marxists. There's no are. ideology in the movie. It's like there's nothing about no, like they're just, they're just, they're just like production. chaos, right? They're just yeah, yeah, pretty much. So she's like, okay. We, I mean, they want the Republicans to lose the election. Right. Seems to be their main. The neo Marxists are basically the today's scumbag left. Like the neo Marxists probably started Chapo in the South. I think, yeah, I think they're described as what is left of the Democratic Party. Though it's because it's never clear <laughs> who like, is running like a, against like a ticket, the Republicans. What was the Democratic that? Party like is competitive in the election though? Like there's like a ticket like. It's like the, the the polls and stuff are close. Right. Right. Well. <laughs> yes, but they. I believe they say at one point that the neo-Marxists are rigging the election. Right. Somehow. Right. Oh, yeah, because they have all these thumbs that they've taken, and they're going to use the thumbs to vote. <laughs> but, so that was basically the setup right. when this I gave. Like so um, now. Small thing. Of the movie. Yeah, a small thing that you did forget to mention. Um, this is uh, World War Three has also already happened. Sponsored right, by yeah, they have in two thousand five. They uh, oh yeah, the Middle East nuked Texas. Yes. Yeah, that is clearer. I think in the regular cut because there's kind of like the 
RoboCop uh, interface thing. Yeah. That is that does not make it to the. That was not finished by the Can Cut. I think they added that. So it would I, I don't even think it was a thing until. I, the yeah, I think they. I believe added he has it, a tweet. So it would make Let a little me bit find more it sense. because I have the tweets on hand. That uh, it was well, and it, World War Three is like still actively happening in, in, during the story of the movie, right? You don't yeah, like yeah. hear a lot about like yeah. how it's going. Like it's just something that I guess right. is just sort of like in the background of everyone on everyone's mind. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's something that uh, is being sponsored by Hustler, sure, yeah. and Bud Light. Um, yes. It, yes, you know Kelly was very prescient in in uh, gaming out World War Three. I have to say because the uh, the axis of evil in this war is Iraq, Iran, Syria, and North Korea, right? I think yes. those are the four countries he shouts at. Well, <laughs> it's crazy. I was watching it, and I uh, like it takes place in 2008, which at the time was the future. But I just thought that it was made in 2008, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is like weirdly like uh, knowing for 2008." And I was like, "Oh, it was 2005. Oh, it was written in like 2000." I'm like, "Jesus." <laughs> Yeah, he, he start according to Wikipedia. He started writing it. He he wrote it. I think he was finished writing it like by when 9-11 happened. Yes, I just the, the Wikipedia entry just says Kelly wrote Southland Tale shortly before the 9th, September 11 attacks. The original script involved blackmail a porn star and two cops. After the attack, Kelly revised the script. He said the original script was more about making fun of Hollywood, but now it's about I hope creating a piece of science fiction that's a about a really important problem we're facing about civil liberties and homeland security and needing to sustain those both those things and balance them. Which is hilarious to think about. He was making like an Abel Ferrara movie and then was yeah. just like, <laughs> well, well, now I need to make Brazil. Now I need to make <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe the only the only piece of like 2000s retro futurism that exists. Which is funny to think about. I need to smash together Terry Gilliam and Adam Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is 100% what Southland Hills is. With, like, a like film school kid who really loves Verhoeven, but was, yeah. like, high for everything else. Yeah. I don't know. I could keep trying yeah, to I explain mean, the, the plot. So that's the basic setup. And then, like... Yeah. Basically, yeah. like it, things, it's 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 a lot of like twists and turns, right? It's like a lot of like yeah. reveals of like, oh, I've been behind the, this element and I've been behind this element, and these is this is right. who really are uh, that sort of thing. Which I I guess for, for me personally is always like you really have to execute that very well for me to be invested in that sort of style of storytelling. Which is I think mm-hmm. part of why I just like tuned out almost immediately and was like, this movie has nothing like of value to offer me. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think from there, the, I guess the thing is, like, you, you there are, like, several, like, fairly big set pieces where, like, a big thing happens, but I don't quite, like, none of them clearly, like, are, like, leading to and from each other, is what I would say. About I the mean, rest of the yes, movie. The, much like all of Richard Kelly's movies, the plot is kind of very, very, uh, like hidden in stuff and he has to literally explain it for anyone to get it and right like whenever anyone does explain it it's always kind of worse for it being explained right. i mean yeah the really, johnny I, darko yeah. director's cut is infamous for this right um, yes by basically yeah. giving you all the answers and making it a much much shittier movie <laughs> as a yeah. result 
I will. Uh, yeah, making it so you have to pause at a lot of points so you can read the stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. I will say there there are some like interesting like recurring themes in it. Like I think a lot of the like I I think a better movie would sell the um the surveillance state stuff a little more intriguingly. I think. Like, I don't know, I think the design of all of that is, like, a little not engaging to me, but I think, like, with a little bit more, something more appealing to that, that would be to me. And then also just, like, all the, the like, the the expendability of life throughout, of, like, the, there's the thing where, mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna kill myself if you don't give me a blowjob right, like, that whole thing. That scene rules. <laughs> I Like, it, there's something interesting there. It doesn't, I like, I don't know what it is but it is certainly it, very arresting for at least long stretches my, my my like read on that scene is that it is obsession with celebrity like overriding all like what what is what has happened in to my memory is she uh works for the u.s ident she works for Yes. Right. Well, the, the yeah. spy company. Some woman who you have and never it... seen before and you will not see again in the movie. Uh, comes up not... to the rock on the beach. No, no, no. Uh, no that's woman not that true. She, 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 yeah, she, yeah, you see her eating the Cheetos so that you'll make the connection. Oh, sure. no, she has <laughs> She's a, the she Cheeto has a lady. a lot more in the can cut at the very least. Sure. I haven't seen the original Does cut she? in a okay. while. Yeah. I do remember the Cheeto lady. She's in the can cut a fair amount, especially like the first thirty minutes, I think. I don't know. But basically, but she, she's like, become she's obsessed like call- with like The Rock. She she yeah. finds these she finds the script that uh uh Krista now and Boxer Santoros have written and reads it because she's like a big Boxer Santoros fan, and apparently some I don't know what like the idea become behind her becoming obsessed with it is. But from what I can remember of reading, like, an explanation is she believes that the movie is real, and so she is obsessed with meeting The Rock, right. and... But there are also elements of the movie that are real. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is. I mean, it's 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 a prediction of the future. Right. And so she kind of inserts herself into the character that Krista now had written for herself. Sure. And so anyway, she meets him on the beach... She like gives him a message about something of like you have to go to this place or whatever. And then he needs to go to the Mega Zeppelin. Yeah. And then she takes out a gun and like threatens to kill herself if she doesn't let him if he doesn't let her give him a blowjob right now in public on the beach. Uh and then that plays out like in a couple of different ways for like a long time. And then she is later assassinated (laughs) by by uh by is it just Justin Timberlake, right? Is offshore. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um when she, I guess, moves to more threaten Boxer Santeros. Right, when she the thing about him. Richard Kelly is that when he does jokes, um, <sighs> boy, it's really where you can lose me with his movies. It reminds me so much of the Donnie Darko scene when they're talking about Smurfs fucking, and you can tell who would find it funny, and I'm not one of those people. It's it's, it's Richard Kelly who finds that funny, like excruciating. There, there, there is definitely like Richard Kelly thinks this movie is a comedy. That is very yes. clear. He, he, he thinks this movie's a lot of things. He's yeah. He's got a lot of ideas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, there was an entire subplot about um, Wood Harris and Amy Poehler playing uh, neo-Marxist improv artists. Yes. That's right. 
Right. Well, any, any further thoughts? perhaps you could even draw a comparison between their characters and Richard Kelly, and that they're perhaps not quite as cogent artists as they believe themselves to be. <laughs> also, um, just what I was coming back for, uh, I found the Kelly tweet I was thinking about regarding the, uh. The whole, like, Robocop, Verhoeven-esque stuff mm-hmm. with the screens. Uh, he said, we... The Doomsday Scenario Interface animation was added after Can in an attempt to reconcile elements of the important backstory in the graphic novels. It was animated by a then-21-year-old art student from Chapman University, Chris Bale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it was made on a $17 million budget. I mean, this was not... Yeah, it is... <laughs> Yeah, I think it it definitely is like at at times it's very clear that it's reach that it's uh, reach ex- extends beyond its its ability to grasp, um, and like I'm not particularly a fan of like a lot of the design like the production design I think is not very appealing in this movie, uh, but it definitely does feel like a movie that was that um that is not made quite as cheaply as it was made for I would say. I will say yeah. I would not necessarily describe the production design as appealing, but I do yeah. think it is effective. Yeah, I will say it's like it is. It's a lot of, to me, like with like the two thousands Michael Mann movies, where it's like, do they look classically good? And it's like not really, but I am very taken by the way that it looks very two thousands and very retro in that way. Mm-hmm. I think. It is an era of fashion and style that has not yeah. aged well, just sure. visually. Yeah, I think, well, it's it's also like um, like amplified by the fact that like he's using this like post-apocalypse to sort of just be, oh yes, this is like my this is what I think a Mad Max like post-apocalypse would be like, and that is um, sort of just like bubblegum, like beat chic yeah mm-hmm. yeah I guess like there's there's the guy with the orange mohawk who kelly said was cast because of his projectile puking ability <laughs> i will it's like, say uh, it's like i think there are comparisons i guess in luck and like generally what they're trying to accomplish but not like really what they're trying to accomplish with like idiocracy which is like another piece of like 2000 yeah. sci-fi of like well, that oh, was yeah. a freaking documentary, too. I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no worries. But it, it's like, yeah, I, I think I might like Southland Tales more than Idiocracy. I'm not a big fan of Idiocracy. Idiocracy, I think, is pretty terrible, to be honest with you. I don't think I've seen Idiocracy in a whole. Southland Tales but, are swings for the fences. I gotta give it credit. Yeah. yeah. Like, but the, Idiocracy it's just like, is... Yeah, I'm just trying to get to, like, that very... 2000s idea of like bush a bush era apocalypse of like miller lights and by the beach and like trucker hats and that sort of apocalypse is always like a weird interesting thing to depict and also just in the sci-fi terms southland tales reminds me a lot of like mid-2000s like independent comics of like the work of warren ellis stuff yeah. like the, the authority and planetary and transmet or metropolitan which is like very aggressive and very like scared of like the deep state and like surveillance states and stuff like that so i think there there is southland tales isn't 100 percent springing out of nowhere there definitely is some like 
precedent for what it's trying to do. But and as I a movie, there's... I think it's pretty unique, which is why I, I think appreciate it's also it. weirdly kind of like a predecessor or at least like a mirror to what like Michael Bay's does whenever he goes a little more um, off the rails than <laughs> just normal Michael Bay because they're. It, they are very similar in that they're both guys who kind of hate America, but they just have very, like, different views on, like, what's sucks in America. But it is, like, very similar, like, the government sucks, uh, you know, just all this, like, the military... It feels in line with the Transformers films. I feel like but there's the, a w- the, world where, the like... The difference, though I'm not that familiar with Michael Bay, would be that uh, Richard Kelly believes that the government is way too far to the right, and Michael Bay believes the government is way too far yes. to the left. I, I feel like, yes, there... I've described Richard Kelly as, like, the leftist version of Michael Bay, just like the leftist vulgar auteur, which he kind of is, ultimately... Mm-hmm. And it's mostly I mean, just because of Southland Tales. Like, the box yeah. and Donnie Darko, not as much, like, steeped in what are clearly, like, Richard Kelly's political views, but... Yes. Those are those are maybe closer to, like, a, a Shane Carruth than a Michael Bay. That's maybe the kind of uh, uh, spectrum that he... Well, much like Primer, I had no idea what's going on at any point, and I still (laughs) really connect to it and enjoy it. So, Kruth, I think, does scan in that sense. (laughs) But also, which which is. Sorry, go ahead. I I think that's why it's more insane that just like looking at Kelly's other two films, which are both insane in their own ways, that he made Southland Tales, which is just. It's. You know, this guy who mostly just like likes doing weird time stuff kind of made this big gonzo like kind of action movie about the apocalypse starring the rock yep he did do that Wojcicki's released speed racer two years later and i think both were movies that america was maybe 10 years behind at the time um People, I think, are still not quite ready to give the full re- reappraisal of Southland Tales, but I'm I'm happy the conversations are at least happening. I'm yeah. sure it's a movie that I love. While at the same, like if I had to rate it, I would probably give it both a zero and a five at the same time, or a zero mm-hmm. and a ten. Not something that averages, by the way, to the middle. It's kind of mm-hmm. perfect and awful all at once. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's much like Speed Racer. I I respect movies that swing for the fences in that big yeah. of a way. Um, Speed Racer is a much better yeah. movie, but <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, yeah. I think that's sure why ultimately, that? <laughs> I think ultimately that's why I like connect to Southland Tales, a movie that I think is kind of hot nonsense and has a lot of stuff that definitely doesn't work for me. But at the same time, it is still very much one of those movies that I'm like, I have to give this five stars, or I have to give it nothing. Yeah. Like, there's no middle ground with this movie. Like, I think maybe there is a middle ground with it, but I can never, like, I can't, I can't give it a middle ground. It's just too out there. It is such a, it leaves it all on the table. I respect it so much for that. So, and, so, Southland Dale is both very funny and good and also hot nonsense and, and ahead of its time and looks very interesting, though not to the look, not to the everyone's favorite look, 
So that is why Southland Tales is anime. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Could have put it better myself, to be honest with you. I mean, that is the thing that Richard Kelly's like sequel, prequel, whatever it is that he's making is going to be half animated. So you're not wrong there. You think Hideo Kojima watched Southland Tales and then made Metal Ooh. Gear Solid 4? I I bet he loves this movie. <laughs> well, to be fair, Southland Tales is much better than Metal Gear Solid 4 in terms of storytelling. <laughs> Listen. Mm. <laughs> oh, Southland Tales. You gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah. I don't think you do. <laughs> I think you. I think you might. I, I, I fail to see the reason you gotta love it. I can't imagine like not even like respecting its ambition. Yes. Like, well, it is. Yeah. I. Yeah. I guess just again, like yeah. It's I like I see that it's being ambitious, but like in its ambition, it has forgotten to do anything that will like assure me that you have any sense of like you know what you're trying to do. And oh, so, I. Yeah. Even in not loving it, I definitely think Richard Kelly knows what he wants to do with it. He probably... and I think this is exactly what he wants to do with it. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I don't. I, I guess I don't see any like you. Ha- what I see in it is you don't have any ability to communicate to others what you are attempting to do in this. Like I think it's you're like... making film, which is a collaborative art form, and I don't think you have successfully collaborated to get what you need out of the people you're collaborating with. Is what he I talks about it in his Twitter thread about how he informed so much about Byling's character through her ideas. Well, I mean... His whole I, Twitter thread, it seems like it was very collaborative between everybody. Yes, he let like, Harris and Amy Poehler improvise their whole fight. I am shocked. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I think, like, uh, it it having, like... he's like, His, like, upfront of, like, this is part two of, like, a story is essentially, you're like parts uh four through eight of like an eight part story you probably like do need to put in more work than just watching the movie which like i also can't accept like if you want me to do that much for your movie uh and you aren't giving it to me then i'm not going to do it i can like accept that as a take as well but i do just like respect it as like i'm spinning all these plates <laughs> and it's like it looks i think it looks cool i think it's got like a good vibe to it and it's like a very cohesive energy of like these cool moments and cool scenes that like peak pretty high for me while maybe not maintaining it's like momentum throughout the entire thing. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I, the sort of, the, I guess, yeah, I, I do see, like, I think there is a version of this movie that I could at least respect sort of more than I do. Uh, I think, I don't know. I guess I sort of get the sense that like he was not put in a position where he could make that version I, like it, like almost everyone in the cast reads to me as like, well, this is just who I could get. It is not necessarily like the ideal person for any of the parts. Uh, and... the, but I, the the thing about that is, it clearly is everyone he wanted to get. Like it is very much. I don't know about like... that. I don't know. It, it, a lot of it. I, I don't know. I I get the sense that like a lot of these people were like. Well, like, Kelly also know, talked about wanting choices. to like showcase people that he felt had talents that were at the time underappreciated like i know for a fact that like sean william scott michelle geller like i I know for a fact that those two definitely were first choices i think whether or not that was a good idea might be another (laughs) might be another uh question but yeah well i mean yeah i i guess yeah 
I, I, yeah, I guess where I would land on it is like, I think it is like, it's kind, it is kind of a fun movie to like talk about after the fact that I don't think I have a lot of fun actually watching. And I mean, like the, the, the characters like going through the Twitter, like the characters who he didn't like the actors he didn't get that he really wanted are kind of like the very ancillary characters like Will Sasso and, uh, he tried to get B. Arthur and Cloris Leachman to play, uh, Inga von Westphalen. God, that would have ruled. <laughs> and apparently, uh, Leachman's rep said Cloris does not work for scale, which rules so hard. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> um... Also, much like in our 2019 episode where I had to be the one that revealed that Annie doesn't like the music in Uncut Gems, he also thinks that the Justin Timberlake song aspect of the movie is boring. It's the... That song was... No, I, I found that song just incredibly undynamic. It was just, like, oral war- wallpaper. I mean, take it up with the killers. Yeah. I, have, I have no knowledge of who the killers are, so I... Uh, yes. Andy's gonna duke it out with Brandon Flowers. <laughs> That's our next episode. <laughs> I feel like there's. I feel like for some reason there's something about the killers that are that is antithetical to musical theater people. Because I had this same experience where I was in the car when I was much younger with a friend who's very into musical theater, and uh, a killer's song came on, and she was like, "God, the mixing on this song is terrible. It's unlistenable. There's no dynamics." Uh. Disagree. <laughs> I would love for this to just be the rest of the episode, you two debating. Are the killers good? I mean, yeah. From what I've had conversations do, with do, Andy Does through, all the things I've done by the killers have dynamics? All of Andy's takes... Ab- <laughs> Cullen's, cut out Mike again, Dewey Cullen. was about to make a terrible oh, point, and so it cut out. <laughs> oh, that is the best time for him to cut out that rules. All of Andy's music takes her bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. There, there we go. Listen, I gotta, I gotta yeah. be true to myself, and my, you know, I know what I like, and it's not that. Huh. Does uh, with that, does anyone have anything else they want to say about this movie? Uh, I, 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 I do want to talk about something that I think Benny and I, and I think everyone who watches the movie and loves it really latches onto the whole um, the the repetition and non-explanation of I'm a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide, <laughs> which is said sure at three different points in the movie by three different characters. The heart of the movie. Yeah. Yes. Linda Cardellini. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's just, I think, if, if we're going to end, we, we can't end without talking about being a pimp, pimps not being able to commit suicide. I think that's... I mean, it, and, I, Andy was talking about how one of the big themes that the movie was uh, grasping at, that in his uh, opinion it didn't quite reach as the sort of... Uh, expendability of life. I think that is that is what that is the distillation of that theme in Richard Kelly's yes. mind. And I think the other thing that is really self-entails entails about it is that every single time it's used, it's a slightly different context. So good luck trying yeah. to figure yes, out. Yes, yeah, I have no idea what Richard <laughs> Kelly thinks a pimp is in this context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, the fair. rock clearly, and someone who doesn't commit suicide. Like none of these people I have seen like are in charge of any prostitutes so, or sex workers. Excuse me. Jesus. Um, 
Uh, so I mean, Will Sasso is, but he's sure. not related to this entire thing. Right. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's a great line to go out on, especially with that needle drop, man. Yeah, that's just that's yes, scary. It is. It is a he- it is a hell of like a mic drop from Richard Kelly. Also, something that I just noticed because I've watched this movie three times, and I've re- I mm-hmm. realize every time I watch it. It's an incredibly watchable movie. I just only watch it when I have to, uh, like, do a podcast about it. But it is something I feel like I could turn on whenever and just kind of zone out to. It is that enjoyable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a real I feel like if I were someone who fell asleep watching two movies, I'd put Southland Tales on all the time. Yeah, it is a very, like, relaxing movie, weirdly, for such an insane gonzo movie. It, It never gets super loud. Mm-hmm. And the Moby soundtrack very relaxing. Moby does good work on this, to be honest with you. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, my big takeaway is that if you got the three hours and you haven't seen Southland Tales, I know this might be kind of a mixed <laughs> over. I, I take, but in general, I would say if you haven't seen it, it, it definitely is worth uh, maybe worth the investment. Don't start with the can cut. No, yeah. yes. sure I would agree with the but, can cut's pretty skippable. I would say that about, is not essential. If you're watching Southland Hills, you're still studying the side close to three hours to watch it. It is, what, 225? Yeah. Yes. And, and boy, does it feel it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think, like, even in Mixana, I, I think definitely it definitely recommend it. And, like, there was one point where I was like, there's still the an hour left. I feel the length hour. in the CanCon a lot more is the thing. Um, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, so I would, yeah, I would say, I guess I wouldn't say, like, if this is a movie that you think you would be interested in, I would say, I wouldn't say, like, don't watch this movie. I would just say, make sure you're watching this movie around the same time as someone else so that you can then debrief it with them. <laughs> I think I think the joy the joy that is inherent to this movie is in be- being able to debrief it afterwards. I, I, yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe because... pull up Richard Kelly's Twitter and look at all his tweets about it. See mm-hmm. about this yeah. mysterious D&D campaign that is like uh oh yeah part of the movie in the can cut apparently <laughs> uh, yeah. right i noticed that very briefly and like it, it's it's a lot more clear that in the can cut than it is in the cut otherwise it's just like kevin smith talking about wizards which is yes and then as far as this like follow-up project that he like is teasing like he keeps saying like he has like the assets I think right is like the phrasing that which he uses we... which it is not clear that that means the money uh it probably does not mean the money right and it, so like we'll it, see it, if it happens I read that as he has the animation yeah the animation ready. assets yeah which is just which I would interpret as meaning the ability to create the animation and not I have created the animation right <laughs> or he's paid someone on Fiverr to right or he like CGI. he knows like what software they're gonna use or whatever like <laughs> he, 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 he's he's like he's uh, commissioned someone on Deviant Art right. that's actually what Shane Carruth has been up to <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Modern maybe, Ocean 2021 I know maybe we'll have to maybe we'll have to reconvene this panel in 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 the in like five years time. When he's uh, finally released his uh, his Saturday Universe Southland Tales follow up, I will. Be I there. mean, I would love to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd love to see a new movie again. What if that's the movie that reopens theaters? Oh, I oh. mean, that's a, the way. I think that would be the best thing for Richard Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All this makeup Although... money for no one giving Southland Tales its due. <laughs> Just, you know, that whole theory that whatever comes out after 
quarantine breaks is going to become the highest grossing movie of all time. I feel like Richard Kelly means that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for a uh, Rod Sterling biopic. <laughs> oh, yes. Which, right. everything I've read about that sounds insane, and I'm so here for it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, Ben and Nathan, you guys want to plug anything? Um, I don't know when this will be dropping in a comparison to when I'll be done with this project, but I am currently working on a uh, audio drama version of some Shakespeare plays, and the first one, Midsummer Night's Dream, will probably be dropping sometime in the couple of the weeks after this drops, so... Yeah, this should drop on Friday, May 1st. Okay, so probably a couple weeks after this drops, that'll be out. Mm-hmm. Is there a home? So, is there a um, home to look for that yet? Like a Twitter or a Facebook or n- something? Or? Not yet, okay. but I will give it to you guys to like shout out on your Twitter if you can sure. when it cool. does happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, Ben. I have no plugs. Uh, listen to Come Town. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. I cannot endorse that sentiment. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, a, a friend will not forgive me. I was talking about with a friend last night about this, and they won't forgive me if I don't <laughs> talk about how this is clearly the best rock movie because it's the only one he's where he's a. It's the last movie where he's a normal human size. <laughs> that is true. Is this uh, after? Um, no, he's fairly normal sized and get smart. Oh, wow, Get Smart. That's the first time I've thought about that in at least a decade. I thought it was the sequel to Get Smart that he was in. Oh, no, Get Smart, I'm thinking of Be Cool. (laughs) Get Shorty (laughs) and Be Cool. Get Smart, Get Smart, of course, is the uh, The adaptation of the Mel Mel Brooks book Adams that come from the 60s. (laughs) Yes, okay. The same thing about The Rock in uh, Get Smart is he plays the villain in that. Yes. He does. Right. Shall, shall we start doing our plugs, Jesse? Okay. Yes. Uh, you can follow our Twitter where we will tweet out the audio drama that Nathan is producing at Can I Kick It on Twitter. Just the name of the podcast without spaces should be visible wherever you're listening to this. There's a link in the description. There's also our letterbox, which is Can I Kick It OD. Odd is in the end of podcast. Uh, you can follow me at JP Glick Weber on Twitter, also linked in our description. Uh, you, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Andy T. Germ, uh, on Letterboxd also at Andy T. Germ. Uh, uh, I will plug this week uh, for reasons that certainly do not merit uh, explanation here. I have uh, recently recorded an audio commentary for Kenny Ortega's film News. Um, which uh, is available now. It's on SoundCloud. I have linked to it as my review of that film on Letterboxd. So if you want to listen to me talk through talk you through newsies uh, and talk about uh, how wild it is that the Disney movie is about um, striking uh, striking young these boys, um, striking in many senses, they're very young. Um, uh, the, then uh, check me out on Letterboxd. It's about beating up kids. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there, there's certain, there is some violence against the children. Um, oh, and I will also say, look, I no, I don't think anyone's listened to it yet because I put several challenge hashtags for people to tweet it throughout the body of the commentary, and no one is. <laughs> so, so but you can still be the first. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Andy gatekeeping uh, his yeah. Please Twitter. validate me by tweeting these hashtags I made up on that commentary. Uh, Cullen, what do you got? Oh, okay, I'll go. Clatchly uh, on everything, C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. I will use my plug of an old movie uh, to plug um, Palm Door winner, The Tree of Life. Oh, for God's sake. I got cut. <laughs> no, we heard that. You said The Tree of Life. Yeah, Tree of Life, perfect movie. We're plugging old movies. I'll plug The Apartment, also a perfect movie. I, I, I endorse one of those. <laughs> Emilio? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone, spelled how it sounds. You can follow me on Bumble at Emilio Diaz. Holler at me. Uh, that's about it. And uh, my Twitter is Nathan for me, three E's. My letterbox is Nathan R. And Andy reminded me that uh, at some point, for a very similar reason to his Nosey's commentary, I have to record a two-hour-long pitch for National Treasure 3, which I will be posting on my Twitter at some point. Okay. With that, I'm going to go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye.